You are listening to High Shelf Gaming. This is a show where we talk about board games and role-playing games and gaming conventions. If this is what you're looking for, please keep listening. You can always find us on our website, Facebook group, Facebook page, or on Twitter and Twitch and Discord, all under the name High Shelf Gaming. Super easy to join the community, and we look forward to meeting you. Quick reminder, we are doing a giveaway. I've got a 3D printed monster, a gray render, super interesting creature and kind of hard to come by, honestly. In order to enter into win, all you have to do is leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Once we get to 20 reviews, we're going to roll a die and see who wins. Hey everyone, David Gillespie here with High Shelf Gaming. And as always, I am joined by the decaying Rich Wisniewski. I am so decrepit now. Dave, where are these words going? <laughs> you know, we started off so energetic, spontaneous, blah, blah. Now it's decaying, decrepit, dying. I, I feel like I'm, I'm going to go to my grave and be summoned by some eternal nasty spirit. That is the theme of today's episode. But before we get to that, we are joined yet again by Mr. Rob Croy, coming to us from the Table of Yours podcast. Welcome back, man. Yay! Hey, how are you guys doing? We're doing great, man. Great. I am super pumped for today's episode, and just so everybody remembers, Rob came to us in the past talking about L5R, the card game, and samurai role-playing games, and now we're on to another kind of shared passion between a lot of us. Uh, Rob, why don't you introduce our topic for today? For sure. It is Call of Cthulhu. It is a role-playing game published by Chaosium, designed by Sandy Peterson. And the Lovecraftian mythos has been a big part of my life, which, which is a weird thing to say, but I'll probably explain a little bit more. And then having a role-playing game with it has been super fun. And, whoa, whoa, uh, whoa, 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 whoa. I thought we were talking AD&D, DDs, and demigods. <laughs> We, the special 144-page edition you with the Cthulhu mythos in it. You weren't here. I was already shitting on the 3.5 sanity rules for D&D and how that was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had, some pre, we had some pre-rolls and pre-talk. But, dude, you're bringing up a good point. D&D tried to bring in the Cthulhu mythos, and I think they got their hand slapped because that printing is the only printing with the Cthulhu stuff <laughs> yeah. in there. So it might be that the actual Cthulhu Mythos was added into D&D at some point, but I'm not actually aware of that. Maybe it was. But I was going to say that what I saw in D&D 3.5, because before that is too old for me, was not the Mythos. It was just lame sanity rules and general general horror. And I would look, we're going to talk about, I think, the difference between that. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, definitely. I hope so. Um, yeah, so there was a printing way back in the day when they just grabbed a bunch of Cthulhu monsters and tossed them into a D&D supplement. And the <sighs> folks who own the Lovecraftian estate were like, yeah, nah, dog. That's not what's going to happen now. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> we're not, making our own game. <laughs> that's not how young Satoth ro- uh, rolls around, man. We can't do that. That's right. That's right. The old ones, they still obey copyright law. <laughs> no, no one can escape. No one can escape copyright. The, uh, the oh jeez, the hierarchy of Cthulhu mythos is Cthulhu, Azatoth, Mickey Mouse, Disney copyright. Yeah, <laughs> love it. <laughs> exactly. So, real quick, let's kind of set the stage. What brought you to Lovecraftian mythos? Because we we actually had a guest on earlier, Phil, talking about the Call of Cthulhu, the pandemic game, the board game. With uh, all the Cthulhu mythos in it, and he had a lot of Lovecraftian like passion. What brought you to it, though? 
Same thing. Lovecraftian passion. Passion. The idea. What happened was my dad was a. Yeah. Passion pit. My dad was a huge Lovecraft fan. Uh, He uh, before. Yeah. Before Kickstarter was a thing. He he helped crowdsource like before there was crowdsourcing sites. He helped crowdsource and fund a proper headstone for Lovecraft in Providence, no Rhode shit. Island. Was that like through like a wow. zine? Was he like on a newsletter gazette thing? It was through a Usenet, man. Usenet, nice. Whoa, yeah, dude. And- Dropping the mic on the <laughs> school, like two, Usenet. Was it two episodes we were talking about web oh. rings? And folks, if yep. you went and looked up web rings after that episode. Good on you. Before even that. Yeah, it was news groups. And one of the things he got out of it is there was a guy in Providence. um, This is when I was very young, so I I don't know these people. um, But he took charcoal rubbings of his headstone and sent it to a lot of the people who helped. So that was one of the things my dad had in just framed. So he also had like every single Lovecraft novel. And short story in several editions and all of his letters. So I've grown up with Lovecraft a lot. And then also having watched a lot of horror films puts me, I think, in a unique way of talking about what is horror and what is the difference between Lovecraft. Robert, Robert, Robert. So were you one of these kids that got exposed to horror like at eight? Would you like to know what my first movie I ever saw? Oh, I am. This is going to explain so much, dear listeners. Alien. Yes. And also, would you like to know how many words I could say by the time I saw that movie? (laughs) Under a hundred? It was zero. I couldn't (laughs) talk yet. I remember and then after that was Evil Dead, the old black and white one. Ooh. (laughs) Wow. Dude, I like I I remember mm. Army of Darkness and all that. I I really got into those movies Mm -hmm. um, because that was the right kind of horror for me. I I really can't stand horror or scary movies (laughs) at all. (laughs) But you like Call of Cthulhu? I love Call of Cthulhu. It's so weird. Like it's funky. If I'm in the game, if sorry, if I have agency, I'm in. But if I'm watching a movie where I have no say over what happens next, uh uh-uh. Oh, no, sir. Dude, dude, did you ever watch Bandersnatch? I didn't. I haven't. I haven't loaded that one up yet. No. Okay. Yes. That's a, that's one of those examples of me talking to him and going in him. Is, is that a horror movie? I'm kind of. Eh. Oh, God. Everyone's homework. Everyone who listens to this must go watch. The thing. 1984. The oh, my God. That is such a great. Okay. And we've talked about movies in the past and I watched some of them. After our one recording talking about Cthulhu. So you guys, Rich does his due diligence. That's right. <laughs> so I watched some of them. Also, I watched like all eight of the Hellraisers. Only watch one, three, and five. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hellraiser's not on your list, is it, Dave? No. Oh, no. I, saw, I saw the picture of Pinhead. I was like, yeah, nah, kids. So, it's so, cool. <laughs> so what editions of Call of Cthulhu did you guys play? I played know? fourth. I want to say I read sixth edition. It's on seventh now, right? It is. That's the one that I can talk most authoritatively about. I do, however, have experience with first and second. So my first here, here's how I got to Call of Cthulhu as a role playing game. My first convention I ever went to as a kid, I was 11. And oh, I went, this is going to explain a lot, dear listener. Yeah, <laughs> I was 11 or 12 and my mom dropped me off at the. Because kids back in the day, we didn't have cell phones. Your parents just dropped you off at places. And then they came back around around dinner time to pick you up. So she dropped me off at this gaming convention by myself at like 12. I want to say it was 12. 
It was the UT Arlington, so University of Texas Arlington Convention. And if you want to say this thing was small, guys, this thing was tiny. It was like the cafeteria and like one or two rooms. And they had role-playing games. And I was like, oh, cool. I, I like role-playing games. I want to go and play one. And it's like Call of Cthulhu. And it sounded like this big mystery thing. I was like, oh, sure, I'll play that. Whoa. Whoa. I sat down and I was surrounded by adults. And they're all like, are you sure you're okay to be? <laughs> <laughs> would, you like, would you like some candy? It was, it was a lot of fun. I really love that game. I still steal from it today. Because wow. it was such a good game. So it did not turn you off to horror no. and make it to where you never wanted to see because you kind of were your own person in the game. And remember, as Gary Gygax says, your character is not your person. Right. Um, is not you. Right. So you were able to have a great time. Oh, I loved it. I loved it. So I've been a fan of it since then. And I think they were having us play on fourth edition. That's why I say I've played fourth oh. is because that matches the time of mm-hmm. when everything was going. I've only played the AD&D version of Cthulhu. <laughs> <laughs> characters out of deities and demigods because there is no other game but he's, AD&D. He's so proud of this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's, let's let's talk about 7th edition. They've they've gone through several iterations. What's the latest with 7th edition? Why would somebody go to 7th instead of one of the past editions? Um So that question is both easy and simultaneously hard to answer because one of the lovely things about Call of Cthulhu is that it's a percentile dice system. So you roll 2d10s and you hope you get a number under a certain number. And every edition of the game has always been that way. Cool. So so that means that if anything you ever discover for any edition of Call of Cthulhu is compatible with any other edition... That's that's cool. Nice. That's yeah, really nice. It it makes running modules so easy. And I got to say, the dudes at Chaosium who are publishing the modules nowadays are among the best modules I've seen for any RPG on, in the market right now. Now, that said, some of the edition just cleans up a lot of funky rules. It just makes it a little bit more streamlined. And it's honestly just like really small stuff. Like in the old games, your stats would be between like zero and 20 basically and then you would multiply them by five to try to find a number there there's also go. this this terrible awful archaic table called the resistance table uh that you'd have to like do some ouija board manipulation to figure out how you're supposed to roll against a certain modifier that's that's done away with now so oh, it's yeah. all, it's the same game it's just easier to play now Okay, so quick question. How long between 6th and 7th and 5th and 6th? How many years went by? Oh, man, I went from 2nd to 7th. So, uh, oh, wow. I, I, I'm not actually super sure. Do you think they publish every couple of years? Because sometimes you just got to make new books to get new people. And it sounds like their changes you know, weren't bad at all. They were very streamlined and, and to make the game a little more efficient. So it could just be that they, you know, they publish every now and then to, to reach that new audience. Uh, from me poking around on Reddit's and talking to people, looking at modules, this is the general feeling that I get is that like one through three is kind of like think of the early age of Call of Cthulhu, where they're still trying to figure out how to make the system. Mm. Between four and six is like we have a system. Now let's make it a good game. And then if you want to get into Call of Cthulhu, you need you start with seventh because they've kind of they haven't really rebooted it because it's still the same thing, but they have made it much easier to enter uh, all of their modules. They're now uh, converting into seventh numbers, which is really just multiplying and dividing by five. 
Uh, so like seventh is now the new starting point. Nice. Nice. Yeah. And I want to say that um, I want to say that, you know, anybody who's looking to run this as a horror game, don't expect don't expect that, like, you're going to open up this book and then you're going to run like your standard adventure. But because you're using this system, it's suddenly scary. Like the system itself doesn't make it a horror game. It is just a system that supports. Robert ho- does. Yeah. You got You got to have the right mindset for this thing. And, and, you know, let's go to the modules. You gave the modules a huge shout out a second ago being, I mean, seriously, some of the best out there over AD&D. And <laughs> when you say that, are they horror-ish? Are they, do they do a good job, um, you know, putting into text what you can then turn into suspense? Because, Robert, I know you're not just going. I love this then question. you enter the room and you see the bad thing. Um, I know you're, you're really making it alive for your character. No, your so. Players. Yes, kind of, but that has to do with what I would call like the philosophy of horror, which is something that I really want to talk about. Um, so Lovecraftian games are horrific in a completely different way than most other horror. You know, there's very few jump scares, stuff like that. Sometimes they're useful, but Lovecraft is about the unknown. It's cosmic universal existential horror where you literally cannot trust your own perception. You are blind because you can see you do not perceive reality the way that it truly is. And these other entities can. So the modules do a really good job in general with producing horror. You always need to add a little bit more for your group, but it's not because there's some like scary thing. Like imagine rich, you've unlocked the door to Mr. Gavigan's office. As you enter, you find him lying in the corner with his head turned around. His bones are twisted clearly. As you can see, his foot has rotated 360 degrees. His whole body is contorted and he now seems to be part of the wall. Yeah. um, Fuck that. I'm not playing. (laughs) (laughs) See, no, that I'm into like, that is a oh okay this is uh this is new and different this is something that needs to be investigated this is terrifying um but it's not the monster leaps out at you and it you know roll initiative that can happen um sure so let me let me say this okay this is really fun call of cthulhu uh has two editions two two versions in a way okay Hmm. so there's normal call of cthulhu which is the one that i prefer but most players don't and then there's Pulp Cthulhu. Pulp Cthulhu and Call of Cthulhu use the exact same system, the same designed by the same people. But Pulp Cthulhu is like, okay, so do you know the, the story of King Kong? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I think, think so. Yeah. Normal Cthulhu, yeah, Normal Cthulhu is your... <laughs> Nor- Normal Call of Cthulhu is the island. Exploring, being like, what is going on? Mm. Pulp Cthulhu is... Riding on the wings of a biplane, shooting your Tommy gun at Call of Cthulhu on the Empire State. There we go. <laughs> Got it. So when the monster jumps out at you, you're playing Pulp Cthulhu, unless it's Call of Cthulhu, in which case the monster jumps out at you and you already died. <laughs> you just don't realize it yet. We're are just you sure this, this isn't up. about King Kong on an island and the guys from Vietnam are attacking them and there's things that live under the ground? Dude, that'd be a sweet Call of Cthulhu game. That was an awesome King Kong. Samuel Jackson Rock. <laughs> just throwing it out. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that's a really good point that there's the version of the game where you're wandering around investigating, hoping to discover the problem before it gets you killed. Yeah. And then the one where 
it's high adventure and you're firing some fully automatic weapon at some giant monster and you know and if that's your jam man go for it that's where most D groups go because they want to feel like they can call cthulhu is a mystery game you're playing literally playing investigators you have to discover and solve a mystery okay actually that's let's let's talk at that because most games that folks are used to there's a role or a class or something that differentiates all the different players but in this game everybody has the same job of investigator kind of right so they're all they're all investigators but your class you can't see my air quotes, but they can yes. uh, quite quite literally is your occupation, which dictates what skills you like. Librarian, right. like yeah. police officer, right. like yeah, yeah, nurse. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. But but the underlying presumption is that everybody is there to investigate. Yes. Even if you have a lot of medical skill, you still have some basic like deducing abilities and some basic look around and search abilities. And even if you don't, there's a no role, K-N-O-W. Uh, so it's kind of like the GM. I'm going to give you a hint idea. Got it. Mm. So that like they actually built that in. So yeah, you're, that's the idea. I will also say that Call of Cthulhu is the RPG that requires the most buy-in from the other players that I've ever oh, played. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I've played. I've run it for many groups, and if I don't hold a session zero, like this is our expectations. This is your job. This is my job. This is how the game will work smoothly. If I don't do that, what happens is. Uh, People hole up in a outhouse shed with gas canisters and don't go into the sanitarium and then the thing explodes out of the lighthouse and nothing actually ever ever happens. Shout yeah. out to Greg and Carmel. Yeah, <laughs> I I call that the reluctant hero problem. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, look, this game is going to sound scary or challenging, and you have to have a character that has the metal that would still put them into that situation. Mm-hmm. Like you say, don't hole up in the outhouse. Go out there and do something. The players themselves need to be they need to be talking about how carefully they move their hand towards a certain object, that kind of thing. Like if they just say, I uh, I go open the door, it's like, no, 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 no. You need to describe I feel the door, check it for heat, check it for tremors before I do a thing. That kind of stuff just further to me enhances the vibe that we're all going for. I had a, uh, in, in that scenario that I was just talking about the uh, spoilers for the sanitarium, the monster is in the top of a lighthouse and they went into the lighthouse and there's stairs that go up to where the monster is, right? This sure. unknowable shapeless thing. And I don't want them to go up there because then they're just going to die. That's the other thing. People are going to tell you you die a lot in this game. And while that's true, I don't want you to. I'd rather you suffer. So, yay! <laughs> a DM after my own heart. That is the. I am going to steal that. You know, I don't want you guys to die. I'd rather you just suffer. <laughs> so as he's going up. Crap. These- <laughs> He's going he's going up these stairs and he's like, oh, we should investigate and look around. And I'm like, that's a really good idea. I need to stop him. So he's like going up. He's like, I'm going to walk up the stairs. You feel a foreboding sense of existential terror. And he's like, oh, shit. OK, um, I I want to uh, reach up and touch the door, the, the hatch to the to the roof. And like as you touch it, you feel that the grain in the wood has been swirled and warped unnaturally. Would you like to go in? And he's like, and he like, he's holding his hand like in the air, looking at me. And he's like, no. <laughs> okay, good. Because if he goes up there, he dies straight up. Like there's nothing he could do. He just dies. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, that's it. Okay, so that is a thing to kind of mention is that this game has a couple of ways to die. Like, you can die from damage, sure, but you can also die from just going straight insane. Insane! Oh, the insanity is so good. Yes. That's really, oh, oh. even on the board game, I think that's one of the things I like the, the most is this, this, this fragile line you have to manage yeah. between and- sanity and, and insanity. And is that kind of the same thing in the RPG also? Yeah. So you have um, your maximum sanity is 99. However, your starting sanity is whatever your power is. Mm. Uh, your power is kind of like, it's kind of like your sense of your force of will. Sure. It's where, it's where most of your magic is drawn from. Uh, so then every time you lose sanity, it goes down. You can actually gain more sanity than what you started with. But if you're playing it right, you won't ever go up much. <laughs> you'll, you'll be spending some of that sanity as you go along. Like like that scene you described earlier with the uh, with the body, that probably would have hurt somebody's sanity rating. So, yeah. So oh, if you discovered that thing to bring up. I like yeah. that. Yeah, so if you discover that, what I would do is have you do a sanity roll. The way sanity rolls uh, work in this game is you roll 2d10. One is a 10-digit, one's a 1-digit. And you hope that you get whatever your current sanity is or less. It's a percentile dice, right? So if you have a 75 sanity, you want to get 75 or less because you have a 75% chance. Right. Sometimes I explain that. People are like, why don't I want to get higher? I'm like, because that's a 25% chance. Okay, so... Because <laughs> man. <laughs> uh, so if you discover that, what I would do is say um, every sanity roll has a success option and a failure option. If you succeed your sanity roll, that's good. However, it could be so horrific that you still lose sanity. So you'd probably just lose one. Uh, and if you fail, I'd probably have you lose a D4. Right. And, and it's one of those things where as players, you very, it very quickly changes the behavior of the players because then they send one person into a room. Yeah. Not everybody goes in there looking for loot. It's <laughs> one guy goes in there risking their sanity and then they come out and they say, oh, guys, that was really or they, rough. Or they don't come out. Right. And then you're like, do we send another? Dude, send, <laughs> my, we my, lost Rich. <laughs> Are we sending anyone after him? No. Yeah, no, I'm shutting that door. We're moving on. This this, my, this room just gets a big red X on it. <laughs> my players have a buddy system when reading books now. Wow. <laughs> the books in my game are pretty horrific and do a lot of damage to their sanity. So now whenever someone wants to be like, all right, guys, I don't want to, but we need to read this book to understand what's going on. Someone needs to be with me. Dude, somebody was like reading read a book, book and they're like flipping. And I described that like, they lost their sanity. If you lose five or more then something terrible happens. Like you go in, you go uh, temporarily insane. Nice. Wow. So I'm like, you're flipping pages and then other character, you see him f- continue to flip pages. He's not reading anymore. He's just he's scanning it. And then he flips through the back cover and he continues to make the motion of flipping pages, even though the book is closed. And then he stands very solemnly and begins to press his face into the fireplace. What do you do? What? <laughs> What? <laughs> See, yeah. There was a movie that just came out not too long ago, Bird Box, which, yep. you know, drives people insane. So if you've seen that and you're interested in that kind of stuff, this mechanic is exactly along those lines. It drives you towards self-harm through the loss of sanity in the system. Um, it That's itself really doesn't dark. physically This is really dark, too. That's really yeah. dark. And, you know, you got to have a... And I'm going to ask this, Rob. I mean, I would imagine you really need to be an experienced dm before you start this or would you say no what do you think 
I would say no, because the system itself is actually really easy. And going back to what I said earlier, it is more about understanding the nature of horror. Oh, I was about to say, yeah, you need to be experienced in horror. Yeah, it is a DMing. Now, well, I mean, be, being a good GM never hurts. <laughs> yeah, but but if you want to start, there is an excellent. I'm sure I'll get it. My monitor just flicked off because it's broken. Ooh. But there is uh, some quick start rules that David can grab later. And inside the quick start rules is they're free, obviously. Make your character super fast, and also it comes with a module called the haunting. And as people for 20 years, 20, 25, 30 years have no been doing, spoilers. I will do the same. That is, I would say, one of the best introductory games that you can do for Call of Cthulhu and is most people's very first session. You'll send it to me and I'll, I'll link it to folks in the show notes. You know, for someone who says, awesome, I really want to run a horror game, be it Call of Cthulhu or introduce horror into another system even. How do I go about doing that? What is the right way to to ease horror into or have a horror-based session or entire campaign uh, and do that effectively, you know, do it in a way that gets buy-in for my players. So first, horror is not everyone's thing. Like, you desperately need to ask everybody if they want to do it. Run a session zero, as I would say. Uh, And that way they know what they're getting into, especially with, like, Call of Cthulhu because it's a mystery game and they're solving something. If it's just, like, D&D and something momentarily scary happens, cool. But if this is going to be a a common theme, really talk to your players first. Then understand that mechanics aren't scary. They just aren't. That's the system by which we play the game. Right. So, yes. so, so uh, <laughs> you, you can be, you can have anxiety around the dice roll. Sure. Yeah. But that's not, that's not, that's not horror. That's not terror. You know, that's not like, right. Bad. <laughs> so, so then the question really is how do I put horror in any game and what is horror? And in the show notes, we're going to link a article written by Ashlaw called The Trajectory of Fear, which I have read and used. I actually make what I call fear maps in my campaigns. Holy smokes. Ooh, I like that concept. So instead of like the dungeon map, you have a map of how fear gets introduced to the characters. Right. And my players never do what I want. So it, it, it gets a little spotty sometimes, but the principle is there. <laughs> is, is, it, is it the problem that the horror map and the physical map don't always line up with the direction of the characters? So you're like, um, yeah, you ground the corner and the book that was normally going to be in the library is just there open on the hallway floor. It's like, dude, I've done stuff like that. And they're like, why is this here? And I'm like, I, I don't know. Yeah. What? Maybe you didn't go into the correct room earlier. <laughs> so in this article, we talk about four different synonyms that people would probably use for scary but i want to like clearly define them Uh, unease dread terror and horror okay and if we think about it as an, an american typical horror movie like there's a monster right sure unease would be there's something wrong here you don't know what you're not sure what's coming for you you don't know what the problem is but it's not right yeah dread is there's something wrong here and I'm in danger. Okay. So like if I think of a horror movie that probably everybody has heard of Chucky, Mm -hmm. when the doll moves the first time, that's probably a dread point. So I would, mm, I don't want to use Chucky because we already know what the monster is immediately. Mm. Can we, can we try alien? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So in alien, the unease would be like, 
spoilers for Alien, <laughs> this 1980 oh yeah. something movie. Yeah, no, um, if the thing is over 20 years old, you don't get to call spoilers on us, all right? <laughs> they go into the cavern with all the eggs, and then the egg opens up, latches onto them, and then we come back into the ship. Right. The unease is why is he okay suddenly like he was super not okay now the unease is like this is weird and now he's eating a lot that scene where he's just like eating so much food Mm. it's like okay that's weird the dread is now he's like starting to like convulse got right that's like this is there's something wrong right not not only is there something wrong in this situation but there is a real problem i'm just not sure what it is now Okay, and then you can also extrapolate this back into the rest of the movie where like dread would be the monster exists on this ship and we're not sure where it is. Right. Okay. So then there's a scene in Alien where like they have a motion tracker and it's like going down at them. Dude. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. Oh, 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 yeah, oh yeah, yeah, bro. Oh, yeah. Yeah. oh yeah, no, yeah. That's, that's some suspense. Yeah. That's terror. That is there's oh, yeah. something wrong here. It's I'm in danger and it's coming. <laughs> okay and then horror is the last one you want to achieve it is the climax if you do horror too much it's not interesting horror is there's something wrong here there's something dangerous it's coming and it's here that's when you finally see the monster and when your catharsis happens when there's no more scary it's over you've you see what's going on now now you can manage the problem horror exists before the management of the problem Got it. It's that you need to withhold some information from your players, and that's what's building a lot of that tension going from the unease to the dread to the terror. Once they see everything in all of its horrific glory, that's when they can finally start to act against it. Right. And then as a GM, uh, you want to hold off on the horror for as long as possible. But you but you also need to be willing to finally pull the trigger, because if you go up and down, up and down, up and down in unease, dread, unease, dread, unease, dread, terror, dread, terror, unease, dread, terror too long, they'll start to get a little exasperated. So at some point you're going to be like, all right, there's a problem, man. It's coming. It's coming. It's almost there. Oh, oh, you're good. You're good. It's coming. Oh, you're almost good. It's here. (laughs) Got it. Got it. And, And that might be one of those things that if they become very evasive and they don't allow it to to arrive or they don't take the next step towards it arriving. Maybe that's when you get the jump scare Yeah. when like they've run down the hallways and they've shut all the doors and they've thrown everything behind them. And then it comes in through the vent above them. Yeah. And I mean, stuff like that happens. I love this concept of building it and, and managing it and knowing that eventually you just got to do the thing. You can't keep holding this off. And I think that, you know, the the first time I played Call of Cthulhu, they did a phenomenal job of that. And that's probably what stuck me into it, loving this whole system. And so I think that anybody who wants to do this stuff, you haven't done it before, definitely go and pull up this article. And there's a really handy little like chart. So if you don't want to read a bunch of pages of stuff, at the very least, read the chart and we'll link it to you. So it's so it's easy. But this this gives me kind of the it puts into words the sensibility I had because I was like, I understand what it means to be afraid in a game and what it means to make my my players afraid. But I didn't really have a good sense of how to manage that. And this little document really maps it out for me in a great way. Oh, uh, and you can use unease and dread and terror in completely in very interesting ways. 
I'm going to do my best to not give spoilers for Masks of Nyarlathotep, which has just recently come out. Mm. But there was a scene where the big bad of one of the chapters, they're face to face with him and they don't have proof. They don't know that he's the big bad yet, but they're pretty sure with a lot of circumstantial evidence. Um, And they just had a delivery to their curio house. And he is just this huge crate and he's a huge hulking man with a bald head and he doesn't say anything to them. And they're talking to the owner of that shop while that guy is opening this crate. So they're just like, so what can you tell me about the disappearances in Harlem? And the shop owner's like, oh, you know, I I don't really know a whole lot. And then I cut to imagine the Tarantino trunk scene looking up and you see this huge man with a crowbar crashing into the box. Cut back to, uh, do you have any other questions? Yeah, I would like to know where you were on the night of. (laughs) 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 I do a lot of I do a lot of little scene jumps in Call of Cthulhu and it helps build the tension. You know, that's another thing that's really cool about this is you can do the cutaway. You know, Mm -hmm. because it's such a such a part of the horror genre and the suspense thriller genre that it's like you get permission from your players to do that kind of thing. Like if I was in a D and D adventure and I was like, all right, and then we cut away to the bad guys as they do this thing. They're like, what, why am I looking at bad guys? I, I can't use any of this information. My character doesn't know any of this stuff. It's like, Oh, I want to show you stuff, but I can't because it's not part of the genre. Whereas in horror. Oh yeah. You can, you can sprinkle this stuff in all you like as a separate thing. Can I talk about the Lovecraft mythos for a second? Yeah. Just my own, my personal gripe. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. There, so, there, there is a, uh, I will preface before you get into it. There is a lot of people out there with a lot of gripe with the mythos, but I'm curious what yours is. Mine is that. So the history of the mythos is that Lovecraft made it. He didn't have any intentions of making like uh, an actual mythos or legendary of it. it. He didn't have like a a grand body of work he was going towards. He was just telling a lot of separate stories. And sometimes they would reference each other as just like, oh, haha, he said that thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it wasn't like a it wasn't like a, a large mythos. And I don't mind that it's a, I was trying to think of like the Greek gods are called a, the pantheon. I don't mind that it's a pantheon. Oh, yeah. I like mythology, I like that. pantheon, all that good stuff. Yeah. My issue is what happened after Lovecraft when a lot of other people started to use this stuff. Because they used it when he was alive. He was super into letting people. Uh, use the stuff in collaboration. That's when we got this like war in heaven thing and how the different creatures are different elements and how elder signs are basically crucifixes uh, oh. to them. A lot of FFG work is based on a lot of this. If you've played Arkham Horror, uh, any version and oh, like the, elder- you mean, uh, the fantasy flight board games, uh-huh. yeah, uh, Arkham Horror and all that stuff. And that's why that's why elder signs are often just like, this is the magical rune. I need to seal away the evil things. Yes. And I always <sighs> use the same one because there's only one in all of this stuff that works really good in Pulp Cthulhu and stuff like that, where you need like some form of weapon against yeah. a lot of this sort of thing. You need a MacGuffin. You need a thing that the th- that everybody cares about that they're going to use later on to mm-hmm. to partially help the uh, defeat the bad guys when they are more knowable like that they become less scary my players actually recently were asking like rob how come we can never kill one of the lovecraft creatures and i'm like what you totally can't it's like but we've never done it how long have we been playing like a year 
Yeah, but you killed that one, right? That dude? Yeah, but he was just a dude who turned into something. We've never <laughs> killed a Lovecraft creature. And I'm like, oh, crap. I didn't even realize it. Whereas I look at Reddit and people are like, yeah, man, just sticks of dynamite and Tommy guns. Biakis go down really easy. <laughs> just ordinance. That's all it takes. <laughs> yeah, we shoot them with our Tommy guns. Yeah, they go down. Yeah, you see? You see? So, yeah, that that if you want to play Call of Cthulhu, my point with this is try to figure out what theme you're going for with it. If you're cool with like it being like Elder Signs being the magical MacGuffin crucifix against the Elder Things, then sweet. Uh, it, it is not necessarily true that they are always like that and don't feel compelled that you have to. No, that's good. And, you know, I think that the other piece in Lovecrafty and stuff is that the fear of the unknown is the fear, one of the most common sources of fear, but they cover a lot of different like the whole Lovecraftian mythos covers a lot of different sources of fear mm-hmm. just the unknown is a very common one I'm sure people have heard this but there is this quote by Lovecraft which is the oldest and strongest emotion of mankind is fear and the oldest and strongest kind of fear is fear of the unknown mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and that's uh I think Phil paraphrased that at us with the pandemic board game it's legit you know we we fear the things that we don't understand or that we don't know and absolutely you can use that in these games the reason why i like that in call of cthulhu is because if we reduce it to just fear of the unknown then obviously like if if i just never tell you the thing it'll be scary but you need to know a little bit i'll need to know a little bit right otherwise you won't know why you should be afraid right so often in call of cthulhu it's about subverting the expectation of oh this is scary because and then you learn about it and you're like oh this is so much worse than i thought yeah yeah it's not it's not like why is this scary it's not because you don't know like that's not that's not the delivery <laughs> the delivery is here's some information and the player suddenly realizes oh my god i wish i knew a lot more than i do right now because <laughs> oh that's so good because in the haunting uh I got to say it for GMs. Now, if you're going to play the haunting with your groups, absolutely. They're uh, in the haunting. The big bad is buried in the basement of the house that they're supposed to investigate. And they go to a, a newspaper or a library anywhere and they can find a newspaper clipping of like and Walter Corbett uh, lost the case to bury himself in the basement of his house. Uh, there is no news if he appeals. And then like, I actually did that with my friends and they looked up and they're like, he's in the fucking basement. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I mean, that's the thing. Is it like you have to deliver the information and then the context of the information is the scary bit. I also kind of just want to point out how little we're talking about the actual system. Yeah, but that's because you're right. The system isn't scary. The system gives you a a vehicle by which to manage sanity and -hmm. then also give them a way to do damage to bad things. And really, a lot of what we're talking about builds that up. And, you know, I did I did a little teeny bit of research. And the only thing I saw as I was looking at some of this was Trail of Cthulhu. Mm -hmm. Cthulhu? Is that like a trail of uh, Oregon Trail or something? (laughs) <laughs> how how many uh star spawn can you take to oregon before they die yeah uh, <laughs> Cthulhu is a different role-playing game it's based on the gumshoe um system oh. um i don't believe it's published by chaosium no it is uh, not cthulhu being in public license is 
used by like everybody. So okay. Trailer Cthulhu is really cool as well. I haven't played it. I know it's based on Gumshoe. There are principles in Gumshoe that I try to use in my game, mm. but it's a different game. Yeah. You know, what we're talking about here with the system of Call of Cthulhu makes it, it's purpose built for this kind of stuff, mm-hmm. but you still have to encase your game in a lot of these kind of tropes that we're talking about with uh, actually having a horror game and managing it properly. Yeah, man. I just want to give a shout out to Massive Nyarlathotep. If you guys should play that, it's so good. What is this? Uh, Masks of Nyarlathotep is a campaign that was originally designed for Call of Cthulhu way back when, but they've rebooted and redesigned for 7th edition. Everything in the past is still useful, obviously, but it's more streamlined now. Uh, it, it consistently wins a ton of awards for RPGs. It is honestly one of the best, if not the best, campaign in the English-speaking role-playing game canon. And by the way, Nasralotep is spelt just exactly as you think. We will link it <laughs> so in the show notes. <laughs> if you just go to Google and type "mass of" and put the letter "n" in, it's the first thing. Yeah, yeah, Cthulhu Photographer Bingo. <laughs> so so this is a, an award-winning campaign like not just a single module but a whole campaign's worth of oh it's it's massive it's truly massive it's yeah it's it's so huge it takes place on one well so there's a new prologue chapter so if we include that it takes place on one two three four five continents one two three four five six countries no wow. six six continents seven countries wow um it's it's just so huge. And is it intended to have the same player or same characters all the way through? Excellent question. Uh no. Okay. Okay. It's impossible. <laughs> yeah. Your your buddy Actually, at the police shop has to go, gosh, Dave's been missing a while. I better go check that out. And now you have a new character. No, is the way this works. Uh it would be cool. Pulp Cthulhu, you can probably run through with the same characters. I've had, I think. They they've done definitely like the first twenty five percent of the campaign, and I think I've had three deaths. Oh wow! Oh yeah. One of them didn't. One of them just blinked out of existence. It was so. Fun. That's a good point here. <laughs> is that we've talked a lot about other role playing games and a little bit about mortality. This is a game where people die. Characters die a lot. Yeah. So what you're gonna hear a lot, not to dominate it, not dominate the conversation. What you're gonna hear a lot is people are gonna say like. Call Cthulhu, ha, ha 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 That's the game where you die immediately. Ha 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 ha. That's where you can't do anything and everything just dies or goes insane. And I'm like, yes, but again, I don't want you to die. I want you to suffer. Like, and <laughs> if, I, you and ju- if you just listen to my hints of the wood is unnaturally warped, are you pulsating. sure you want to open this door? Like the heart of a beast, dude. There's a there's a Peruvian chapter where. Uh, players meet it's the prologue so it's the prologue where players meet their good friend jackson elias and like there's a um peruvian like one of those stepped pyramids Mm. and i was talking with and like they go near it and i'm like and you can feel around you an inhalation (sighs) and then time stops for a moment as you look and all of your eyes fall on the pyramid And they're like, I don't want to go there. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the player that says, "Cool, I'm going in that direction," is like red mm. button, red button. Yeah, but okay. So I did mention earlier, you don't want as a player, you don't want to hide out in the outhouse the whole time, right? But you also don't want to walk towards the maw. 
You know, like <laughs> you, it's, you it's, it's, it to, is hard. You have to have guts, but not idiocy. <laughs> right. And then that's the GM's job to often give you uh, a trail of breadcrumbs where the idea is like, I want them to engage with the horror at base level amount so that they understand what's going on. But then also severely and swiftly and promptly punish any overstepping immediately. Because <laughs> <laughs> if you don't, then the teeth of the big bad are gone. Right. Yeah. Like it's. There, there's, there was a crack in the pyramid and they saw uh, 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 basically a Peruvian vampire vomiting into the crack of the pyramid. And they're like, that's weird. And they go to the crack and I'm like, and then you, you feel intense foulness. Everything about you hates this place. And it's like, I want to look in the crack. And I'm like, oh boy, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you had your warning. And here's this the is going to work out so well for you. <laughs> Rich, I think this is your game. You yeah. have talked a lot about um, wanting um creative ways for for players and characters to or for characters to die i think that you missed your calling i don't know dude i think i'm getting some of these modules and i'm just gonna start incorporating some of these things into my games because again i do have the ad and d cthulhu mythos edition of dd's <laughs> demigod so i can totally borrow <laughs> yeah you just need a you need to you need to get yourself to the point where you're okay with not making them save versus death and just be like yeah you wink out of existence yes dude these, no these modules i downloaded the quick start i can't wait to maybe to give this a try that's maybe See, one of those hey let's all sit down one friday and uh, do this i can't wait to try it the haunting plays really easily in like four hours. Absolutely. Ooh, perfect. Just to, nice. just to, to be clear, they, he totally had some saves to not blink out of existence. And all of his friends ran out of the room. Like they, I, I extended everything one full round to give oh, it nice. a chance. And That's then they didn't. Kind of so he died. <laughs> <laughs> That's very kind of you. Sometimes it's almost salt on the wound. You know, it's like, no, you had, you totally had like six seconds. You could have, you could have left. They could have dragged you out. Yeah, but they didn't. They all ran away. It's like, yeah. <laughs> Pick better friends next time. Yeah. <laughs> the seventh edition has a group luck rule, group luck roll that mm. I really like. Uh, at the end of one of the sessions, when nothing had really happened, there was no action. You still want to have a little bit of action, even though it's an invest investigation game. My players were sitting in a diner, and one of my players already had a major wound, which means they are now eligible for death. And they found this piece of evidence that no one really understood the significance of until I gave him a hint, and then she's like, "Oh." Wait, there are six people in that photograph? The newspaper said there were only five. And then a brick smashed through the window and clobbered her in the head and instantly killed her because the, cr the, cops, the cops were crooked. Oh, nice. <laughs> she filled the luck roll, man. It yeah. was, it was, that sucks. Well, there was a point you made a second ago about the system where your character is not going to die from physical damage until they've already had their first mortal wound. Yeah. Which incorporates this sense of dread. All right, I'm good. I'm good. Oh, no, your character got mortally wounded. Now you're on the chopping block. Be careful. Let me explain health in that game real quick. It's really cool. Yeah. You have an amount of HP. 10 is average. One of my players has like 15 because he's just enormous. And if you ever take half of your maximum HP in one hit, you immediately take what's called a major wound, which is lasting and takes many weeks or prob probably many weeks to recover. 
And if you ever go to zero HP while having a major wound, you die. If you go to zero HP not having a major wound, meaning you have incurred many small injuries, you fall unconscious. And then, quote the rule book, any honest attempt to kill you while unconscious should succeed. So if Rich really wants to run this for people, I suggest the quick start. And then if you can manage it, it's pretty cheap. Grab Doors to Darkness. That has some really excellent beginner level adventures. And then honestly, like I tried making my own campaign for Call of Cthulhu. You can. I can talk about that. Don't. The modulars are so good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And just twist and change them for yourself. I All of them are so good out of this publishing company. Yeah, I, I would almost say that like if you if you want to have your own creatures and your own creations, that's fine. Oh just, yes, just follow the map that it lays out. Oh oh, last thing for you, Rich. When you run this, never, never say the name of the monster ever. Oh, only ever describe it. Yes. Only yes, absolutely. Yeah, this game is all about description and mind's eye. Yeah, my I players. This needs to be a Friday night twitch one time yeah, i will run zero. i'll run the haunting for you oh, oh really oh. Well, okay now, now we have to we have to we have to schedule this because you're in hawaii so we got to make sure the timing is right that's right but dude it would be awesome for you to come on i think and run i would game. love to play in a game with you on that that would be great yeah <laughs> that would be a lot of fun awesome awesome okay cool we will that figure out a way fun. to get you to run we'll figure out a way to like scheduling and timing wise to get you to run a game for us because that would, that be, would be super good yeah awesome rob Dude, thanks a ton for coming back, man. We really appreciate you giving us your time today. I enjoy being here. Your setup is uh, so nice and easy. I love it. It's fun to talk to you. So yeah, good job. Definitely. definitely. Oh, and how can people get a hold of you? How can they find your your podcast and, and all the stuff that you do? Right. So I am reviving uh, again. The table is yours. It is a uh, it is a audio books of the Legend of the Five Rings fiction. You can yes. just do a quick Google search search for that. You can also reach me at TTIYcast at gmail.com. Sweet. Excellent. Excellent. Everyone, thanks a ton. As always, have fun and play well. May all your roles be crits. Thanks for listening. This episode was produced by me, David Gillespie, with music provided by Taylor Guillory. Our web presence is managed by Amy Nelson. And if you like our style, please leave a review for us on iTunes. It's the best way to help people find us. Most importantly, though, feel welcome to connect with us on Twitter, our Facebook group, Discord server, our Friday night Twitch streams, and our website, all under the name High Shelf Gaming. We really look forward to talking and playing games with you.